know, you move to other big cities or, or other regions of the United States or the world, but you always will re- be remembering your community for having that willingness to make an impact. So I encourage, you know, every listener that you shouldn't be discouraged by where you grow up, but rather you should embrace that and you should create culture within your own environment and have some impact. And I think that's beautiful. Welcome everyone to Do Well and Do Good. You're here because you have the desire to create financial freedom, but you also want to make a powerful, positive impact on the world. This podcast exists to tell the inspiring stories of men and women who have achieved both, people who do well and do good. I'm your host, Dorothy Ilson, and I'm here to help you discover proof that individuals have the ability to make a massive impact. Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining me for episode 56 of the podcast. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to make sure you're following me on Instagram. That's the best place to stay on top of what's going on with the show and to get a peek into my own entrepreneurial journey. Today, I'm speaking with Alberto Altamirano. Beto has a deeply personal foundation for his interest in public policy, which has led him to work at the Texas House of Representatives, the Office of U.S. Trade Representative, and the U.S. Senate. In 2015, Beto co-founded City Flag, driven by his passion for technology, urban development, and civic engagement. So what is City Flag? Well, it's actually the first social network for 311 services, which allows you to report infrastructure issues such as potholes, outages, and vandalism while building a more inclusive local government. And that really is the key. Beto was recently recognized by Forbes as a 2018 30 under 30 social entrepreneur for his social impact as a technology entrepreneur. I was so inspired by my conversation with Beto, and I know that you will be as well. So without further ado, here it is. Beto, I am so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you. Thank you, Dorothy, for the opportunity. Uh, You know, I've listened to your podcast read about your work, and I'm, I'm so excited to be here. So thank you for inviting me and to speak into your wonderful audience. Well, let's jump into it. I would love to start, Beto, by just getting the overview of your background, where you grew up, and really what the mindset around money and success was that was instilled in you as a child. I grew up in a bicultural setting, meaning that I, I grew up in a border town, uh, Mission, Texas, which is in the lower uh, Rio Grande Valley setting in South Texas. And, and it was a beautiful experience because I got to learn about two cultures. You know, I had the best of both worlds. That's what I often tell my friends and family members, that being bicultural is being bilingual as well sometimes, right? In my case, I was, I'm fully bilingual. And so it was a great experience growing up in this setting where I got to learn about the Mexican traditions, the American traditions, all interwine into one experience, right? And so that was a, a delicious experience. And of course, you know, I had the beach, you know, only uh, an hour away, Sao Padre Island, which is a popular destination uh, for college students nationwide. But, you know, it was just an hour away, so I could go fishing anytime. It was, it was a great experience growing up in the border town. So growing up in, in South Texas, it has its challenges as well. While, you know, when we talk about economics, I want to say that South Texas is doing very well, right? I mean, you have a forward-thinking community that economically has engaged in, in many sectors, right? And has 
enjoy, you know, the fruits uh, of its labor, right? I mean, think about it, right? I mean, the medical system in Texas is strong, is powerful. Construction and development is powerful. But at the same time, Dorothy, we have a lot of challenges in South Texas, right? I mean, you have the highest obesity in the United States concentrated in one region, which is South Texas, Corpus Christi, you know, McAllen, Edinburgh, and metropolitan area, which is uh, the border towns that I just mentioned. You have a lot of challenges like that, right? And one of them, you know, also has to do with education. So I think, I think a lot of it is a, is a cultural understanding of, 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 you know, how to, how to improve the community, right? And so I think those are one of, one of the biggest challenges, right, which is the, the health challenge. The second one is economics, right? And that is because I think that being in a border town, sometimes you don't have access to a lot of opportunities like in big cities, you know, Austin, San Francisco, Chicago, you name it. Sometimes you have a lot more opportunities in those cities. But at the same time, you have the opportunity to have an impact in smaller cities or suburban regions. So for the audience that is listening to us at home or while driving, think about it, right? I mean, you might not be from a big metropolitan area. You might be from a smaller, medium-sized city or a suburban region in the United States. And yet, you have the, the possibility of creating lasting impact immediately in those locations. And that was how I felt growing up in, in South Texas, that yes, maybe I didn't have access or to all these opportunities that big city people do, right? But at the same time, I could leave a lasting impact or legacy. And I did. I mean, I started a magazine when I was 18 that celebrated contemporary Hispanic arts at 18, you know? And why? Because, because I had that willingness, right? That, uh, you know, vision that I wanted to empower the community and to highlight art. And from artists that were doing amazing work in South Texas in unknown locations, and, and I think that's the idea, right? I think we shouldn't be discouraged of where we grow up. It doesn't matter where you grow up. If you have the tools, and by that I mean the know-how or the understanding or the vision of what you want to do in life, it doesn't matter where you grow up. You're going to have an impact. And then, yes, you, you know, as, as you uh, mature with your profession, maybe you, you, know, you move to other big cities or, or other regions of the United States or the world, but you always will be remembering your community for having that willingness to make an impact. So I encourage, you know, every listener that you shouldn't be discouraged by where you grow up, but rather you should embrace that and you should create culture within your own environment and have some impact. And I think that's beautiful. I completely agree. That is beautiful. And, you know, I love how you describe this, you know, flipping what someone might look at as a disadvantage, you know, being in this, this smaller smaller city and you know you really choose to look at the advantages that that can give you and the way that you can transform that into impact. So I think that that is incredibly powerful. I'm curious, Beto, you said that you started a magazine when you were 18 years old. Do you think that this entrepreneurial drive is something that was born into you or how did this whole thing really start? Yeah, so I think I think it's interesting, right? Is is are you nurtured or is this something that you're born with, right? I mean, what, what's the ecosystem that shapes an entrepreneur, right? I'm often puzzled by this question because I met folks that both of their parents were entrepreneurs like myself. And that's why they also move forward with this entrepreneurial you know, activity or profession. But at the same time, some, I met some folks that you know, their parents were maybe a doctor, 
or maybe you know an accountant at a at a big firm. Those are safe, cushy jobs that sometimes you don't want to leave because they're so great. Yet their kids, you know, went on to you know create a company, you know, selling socks or you know something you know outrageous, but became extremely successful. And so I'm not sure what the answer is, right? But I think it's, it's, it does have to do a bit with, you know, your ecosystem, you know, what shapes you and your environment, right? Maybe those folks that I just mentioned you know, had some type of epiphany or maybe they encountered some type of experience while, you know, on their journey through the professional world that therefore decided to move on and do it themselves, right? And start their own company. For me, it was, it was definitely nurtured. Watching my parents, you know, build their own companies, that was very encouraging. Right. I mean, my dad started a contracting business. And so it was very interesting to see how he built this entity from scratch. And it, it was the same case with my mother. My mother's an educator. She's a, a teacher, but she started also a school. And it's very interesting to see how she'd been able to grow her business. And I mean, it, yes, a lot of tough times. And by that, I mean that, you know, sometimes you don't get to experience or spend so much time with your family, right? Whenever they are enterprising. But I think on the flip side, you know, you get to learn a lot about their discipline, right? And I think that's, in a way, nurture onto you. And therefore, having that experience, I was not afraid to, you know, start my own company. You know, I saw an opportunity and decided, why not go for it, right? So to your question, I think it's a little bit of both, right? It's the conditions and environment that shape your mentality and ambition of, you know, starting a company or enterprising in some way. Or two, you know, it's nurture. But I think it's combined. It's definitely combined. It's a little bit of both. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that what is so wonderful about the way that you have operated throughout your career is that you really have brought together your entrepreneurial skills with this interest that you have in public policy and and really making life better for the people of Texas. And I know that this passion of yours was really born out of an experience that you had at the age of 18 with your father. Could you tell us that story? That's great that you brought this up. I usually tell my story because I want to inspire people. You know, I want to inspire folks that might be in the same situation. And I want to empower them to know that although sometimes life can get challenging, you can overcome any experience like that. And, and, and why do I tell my story? Because I think it's important. I used to not tell my story when I was younger because I was, you know, I was not ashamed, but I was just insecure about it, right? And so that's okay. Now I, I realize that it's part of growing up and maturing, right? But, you know, for five, six years, I didn't tell my story. And my story is that, you know, one day, literally, I got a call from my dad. And, and he told me that, you know, he will not make it home that night or any other night. But he was very precise with him. He said, that I should still believe in the American dream. My father was being deported. And like you said, I was 18 years old. And so it's kind of challenging or, or difficult to digest an experience like that at 18 years old. You've grown up with your family together. And it's different, you know, when, when it's not a family separation because of their will or conviction as parents, but rather the law, the policy is separating your family. And that's, that's pretty intense. Because at that age, it's hard to kind of imagine or try to comprehend how policy and the law operate, right? But it's a system, and it has worked in the United States, and it works in many countries. And we do have to respect the laws. But at the same time, 
from my sadness and frustration towards the, I, I derived this, you know, kind of, you know, determination, you know, of getting, getting my life, you know, together and moving forward with more motivation because I wanted to explore how I could have an impact because I felt that, you know, I was not responsible in high school, that I was not, you know, focused. And when this happened, kind of like my world shattered and I tried to put the pieces back together. So in a way, it kind of served as a, as a reality check, right? That I should actually focus and do something with my life. And, and you know, what happened with that is that I got very interested in policy, in public policy and the law. I saw how it affected me immediately. And, and I feel that often, you know, people don't get involved in public policy or politics or go out and vote until something severe happens, you know, until, you know, they see that you know, our country's not moving in the right direction or they feel uncomfortable with some of the initiatives and political rhetoric that it's being stirred on the media. Either if you are conservative or liberal, it doesn't matter what kind of political conviction you have. You need to get involved. That's how the system works. That's how politics works. You know, we need to push legislation to the middle. If it's too left, it's not going to work. If it's too right, it's not going to work. Sometimes we need to come together and push legislation to the middle. And this was the premise of why I got so inspired into, you know, studying political science. And so I, I decided to pursue a career in political science, which led, you know, eventually to starting my company. And I can speak more on that, uh, but I don't know if you have any other questions. Because I, I, can, I can keep going, Dorothy. I can keep going. Oh, I have... I have so many questions. I could talk to you all day. I mean, I think there are a lot of really important things in what you said, right? First of all, just in terms of quickly people getting involved in politics, I think it is easy to not get involved until it's affecting you directly. But just remembering that behind all of these these numbers that we hear about deportation, you know, me being in Chicago, you know, I don't know anyone personally, you know, until now who has who has gone through it. And it's just so important for everyone to remember that behind each one of those numbers, there is a family. There is a real person whose life is being torn apart. And so getting involved before it is impacting your family, I mean, that's how we can make progress and, and really make our country you know, better. And so that is one piece. But I think what is so powerful is the fact that your father told you still believe in the American dream. So what does that American dream mean to you? And you know, how did that advice from your dad impact you over the next few years? Yeah. And, and to one of your points about the numbers, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think we see the metrics. And sometimes we forget that there's a story behind each number, like you mentioned. There's a family. There's an experience. And so I think we should understand. And, and I think we should try and understand that numbers mean something. We should look deeper into those numbers and, and, and learn about how policy affects our world in our country in the United States. And I, I invite you know, all the, the audience that is listening to us to get passionate about particular issues that you feel inclined to explore. Go ahead and explore those issues. Get informed. Read up. Nurture your environment by, by learning how, you know, as an individual, you can have an impact by volunteering your time with different nonprofits, by go out, going out and voting for particular interests that you might have, either if you're liberal or conservative, to exercise you know, your voice 
as a citizen of the United States. And to your question, you know, to your comment, I think that, you know, my father's advice served me in, in many ways. I think that I understood that my parents, become, well, my dad migrated to the United States. My mother, you know, she was a resident already of the United States. She later became an American citizen. She went to college here in the U.S. But the journey of, of them, you know, moving to the U.S. was for a reason, right? And that reason was because they wanted to give me, you know, a better quality of life and, and, and more opportunity. Now, Mexico, I operate in Mexico as well with my company. Mexico is, is a beautiful country. It has many opportunities. And that's something that I often tell people that are unaware of the opportunities that Mexico offers. However, in my experience, my parents lived in a border town. And so it was easy for them to look at the American dream because it was there and they wanted to pursue it. And they worked tirelessly to pursue this American dream, right? Although my father faced that challenge, you know, with his deportation, I was born and raised in the U.S. And again, I was born and raised in a bicultural setting. And I finally understood by his advice, he meant that I should pursue my dream here in the United States. And I did. And I haven't stopped. And I haven't looked back. And I mean, I'm this kid who grew up in a small city in a rural community of South Texas that went on to build his own tech company and be featured on Forbes 30 under 30. So if you ask me, are dreams possible? Of course they are. And I'm only 29, right? I mean, I have so many other dreams. But I think it's the idea of pushing yourself and believing in yourself. Because the thing is that, Dorothy, is that if you don't believe in yourself, no one else is going to believe in you. So if you want to exercise and practice leadership, you got to start with you. You're your own coach. Your heart is critic, right? You got to push yourself and believe in what you're doing and be passionate about it. And if you pursue that dream, you know, which was the advice that my father told me, you'll get somewhere. Maybe you're not going to get exactly where you're, you're planning on going, but you'll get damn close. And that matters because I think, you know, success is about consistency. It's about pushing yourself and never giving up. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that what's also so cool about your story is how it illustrates the way that entrepreneurship has the ability to solve problems. I mean, you talked about how important it is for people to get involved in government. And so, you know, what did you do? You created this app that allows people a way to, you know, directly interface with their local government and get problems in their community solved. And so I'm curious, Beto, what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced as you turned City Flag from a concept into a reality? Many challenges. I was just, yesterday I was giving a speech. I was with my co-founders and we were giving a speech to high schoolers. They asked us, you know, what was the process like? And I don't know if the listeners have seen this meme where there's like a dog sitting down, like a cartoon dog with a coffee mug and the room is on fire. And he's like, everything's okay, right? I mean, you keep pushing. And it's kind of like that, you know, it's like, you know, building a startup is chaotic in itself, in its nature. It's very chaotic. And you got to be comfortable, you know, operating under this chaos. And that's what a startup is like, right? The story of, of how we got started with City Flag is, is a lot of fun because we saw an opportunity, a, a problem, and, and we could create a, a solution if we focus our attention, you know, and our, our passion and efforts into solving this problem that we saw. And that's what we did. Look, 
by 2050, 70% of the populations can live in cities. So urban challenges are not going to stop. You know, they will get, you know, more prominent. So I'm talking about potholes, you know, graffiti, broken stop signs, you know, street signs, lack of lighting streets, everything that makes a city livable or a city to be resilient, right? And so, you know, I remember one time I was organizing communities in the east side of Austin and knocking on doors and talking to folks. And I remember they were frustrated with how they couldn't connect immediately to their local municipalities. They could not inform their local government about issues in their neighborhoods, you know, in their streets. Like I mentioned, infrastructure issues, things that are non-emergency, public safety oriented, but rather, you know, issues that, you know, are prominent and that make up the, the city's infrastructure fabric. And so I was just puzzled by how we couldn't find a way to make things easier. And, and prior to that, I served in the White House, in the USTR, uh, which is a United States Trade Representative. And I was, I was working for the communications office. And I was also engaging with constituents, with citizens. And I saw that government didn't have the mechanisms to fulfill or close that engagement loop with citizens. I also had the opportunity to serve in the U.S. Senate under uh, Senator John Kerry at the time. And that was the same experience, right? Government does not have those tools. But I, I think the public sector can greatly benefit if they adapt trends that we see in the private sector. I think today, citizens expect the same you know, user experience that they get from, let's say, an Amazon or let's say an eBay to the experience that they get when registering online to go vote in a city election or asking for some type of service in the city's website. And so that's kind of like the premise and ideas that we had. My co-founders, Beto Gomez, he has a PhD in communications. And Eduardo Bravo, you know, spend time working for EY in the private sector. We start bouncing ideas. What can we do? And we created City Flag 311, which is the first social network for 311 services. We created an ecosystem where people can interact with each other, make requests about what they see in their city, and let their government know immediately. So in 45 seconds, you can take a photo of, let's say, a pothole, geolocate that pothole, fill out you know, a couple of questions and, a- and answers, and then submit that. So it takes you 45 seconds versus being on the phone for 10, 20 minutes. And some folks might say, well, there's already apps out there that do that, right? There's some cities that already have some type of app or mechanism to similar to what you're talking about. They are right. However, we took that app and we took it to the next level, meaning that we gamify the platform. So the more you participate in your community, you rank up, you start as a volunteer, and then you end up being a community representative, a mover and shaker. You get points for your participation. And so the system acknowledges your public service, and you get medals in the, in the platform. On top of that, you, know, you also get uh, notifications constantly about where your issue that you make, the request that you make about that particular pothole is in the pipeline of government. If it's already acknowledged and when it's going to get fixed, you get a due date and so on. And then you have a live map that allows you to see everything that is happening in real time in your city. So it's a, it's a very forward-thinking product. And it's also social, meaning that I can vote on the issues that people make and I can share them on my other social media feed. And so it's very exciting. 
Yeah, you're, you're, you're making it something that people actually want to use. I'm curious, Beto, you mentioned your co-founders. And I read in another interview that you did that your co-founders were actually friends before you were business partners. And I know that you know going into business with your friends is something that people often caution against. I'm curious, you know, what is it about your relationship or the way you guys work together that has made this work? And is this advice you would give to other people to go into business with friends or not? What would you say to that? I mean, look, yes, they, they are both my friends. And prior to starting City Flag, they were my friends. I think you have to rely on folks that you trust if you want to go into business. And I, you know, my experience was, was interesting because Beto, my, my co-founder that I just mentioned, he was a music events producer. So he used to create these like big events in South Texas, you know, concerts, you know, these amazing electronic music concerts. I was, I'm, I'm five years younger than him. And I, uh, I remember he used to ask me to take all my friends to his concerts. So I, I was kind of like a promoter of his music event production company, right? Party promoter and a founder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was already like a promoter for his company. And I used to take all these kids, you know, to his concerts, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 people. And so we started this relationship where he saw, you know, leadership in me with uh, the youth movement. We started, all, we had that relationship since we were young. I mean, I was, I was 15, he was like 20. It was very interesting, right? And, and it was fun because, of course, he gave me a lot of perks. I was in the VIP rooms with all these like famous musicians and, I was just a kid and it was a lot of fun. And it was the same case with Eduardo Bravo, right? Uh, he was working for EY, but we met through, you know, youth uh, diplomatic organizations that empower uh, and foster dialogue between the United States and, and Mexico. And it was called the U.S.-Mexico U- US Mexico Focus, uh, which is a forum for cooperation and understanding. And that's where we met. We met on more of a policy level discussion, but we hit it off and we became good friends and so yes, prior to starting, starting City Flag, they were, my, they, they were my friends, right? And, and my advice to folks listening to us is that you need to feel comfortable, you know, with who you surround yourself. You know, you're, you're only as strong as, or you're only as productive or, or successful as who you surround yourself with, right? And, and I think that's, that's important. And, and I think in your organization, you need to foster that culture. And with my, my co-founders, you know, I felt very comfortable. And I think the number one goal that any co-founder needs to achieve within the, the, the partnership is communication. So because I was already friends with them, I, I felt very comfortable in, you know, talking about anything. And so I think that's the number one goal for any partnership, or you should strive for that, communication. I think even if, if there's some items that you don't want to discuss because someone might get hurt, you need to put everything on the table. So my advice to folks out there that want to start a company with their friends, go for it. Why not? I mean, if you don't explore that, you're never going to do it, right? And maybe, I mean, why not explore that with your friends, you know? And, and that's the thing. I heard that advice from a lot of folks saying that, oh, maybe you shouldn't go into business with your friends. I, I don't know. I think I, I'm against that. I think you should explore going into business with your friends because you will feel comfortable. Yeah. And I think part of it is just self-awareness on all sides, You know, knowing what everyone's skills are and making sure that they're complementary and choosing to partner with people who do have those complementary skills as opposed to you, know, you both coming in with, with the exact same strengths and weaknesses. So 
I agree, Dorothy. I, yeah, I forgot to mention that. Of course, don't partner with, a, with with two friends that have the same skill sets that you do, because then you're not. You guys are not going to be productive. I mean, you know, for example, Eduardo spent a lot of time working in the private sector, right? He's a finance oriented Beto. You know, he's a, a doctor in communications, PhD in, in that sector, academia. Myself, I'm in the public sector. So as you can see, it's like the perfect trifecta coming together. Beto, what do you want your legacy to be? I think that's a heavy question. <laughs> uh, you know, when we talk about the meaning of life, you know, what is it, right? It's, it's, it's hard to digest that question, you know, because it's similar to what's, what's going to be your legacy. You know, what, what are you going to leave behind? And I think it's about knowing who you are and the, the role that you play in your community and how you can have a lasting impact. Because in the end, uh, what we have is it's not just materialistic. It's about, I think, the human connection, right? So it's about how you adapt to different trends. It's how you adapt to challenges that makes you, you know, fulfill the meaning of life. I think it's about reinventing yourself. And in that process, fostering those human connections. Because I think in the end, that's your legacy. This is who you leave behind, your loved ones, and the memories that you shaped around the idea of impact in your community or creating something that will have impact in the community. And that's, for example, what we're doing, for example, with CityFly, is creating a platform that is helping people have a voice in different parts or different regions of a city that maybe without this platform, they wouldn't have. As I move forward with my career, every single initiative that I push forward as an entrepreneur, I wanted to have some type of social impact. Or if it doesn't have a social impact, develop you know, a social responsibility arm to that company. But everything guided towards the idea of having an impact in the community and fostering those human connections because that's what we have left. But I do have to insist, I think the goal in life is to know how to reinvent yourself and feeling comfortable with failure because that's part of the process. I just couldn't agree more with everything you're saying. I mean, I think that as far as working towards that legacy, you are well on your way. I mean, Forbes, like I mentioned in your intro, has recognized you as a 30 under 30 social entrepreneur. And so I know that I am excited to have you on the podcast now because then in 20 years, we'll be able to look back and see all of the amazing things that, that you have yet to do. So I'm grateful to you, Beto. And unfortunately, we are running out of time. I really could go on with this all day, but it's time to move into the impact round. So how this works is I'm going to ask you a series of questions and I'd like for you to just respond with the first answer that pops into your head. You ready? You got it. All right. So Beto, who has been the most impactful person in your journey to do well and achieve financial success? My parents, my mom and dad. And then who has been the most impactful person in your drive to do good and really make an impact? All my teachers and mentors, for sure. And Beto, when you're having a bad day, what do you do to get yourself out of the funk? Do you have any sort of regular personal development practices, anything like that? Surround yourself with positive people, number one. But I think, uh, you know, I start meditating in the morning when I wake up. 10 to 20 minutes is the best medicine out there. You know, you clear your mind. And also, I like to spend time with my wife you know, to relax and watch movies and, or read up and catch up. Yes. Do you have a favorite meditation app that you use? So, so I started doing Calm. So I'm doing Calm. It's a cool app that allows you to kind of learn about different practices because it's not just like meditating. It, it kind of coaches you 
their different, you know, ideas, for example, uh, focus or, you know, gratefulness and so on. So it's very interesting. I recommend it. Calm. Another one is Headspace. It's a really cool app. So I like both of them. Both very good. And Beta, what book do you find yourself recommending to people most often? You know, one book that I, I've been obsessed with for the past year, seriously, I read it like I think twice already. Uh, I read a lot of books, but this one is interesting. It's called uh, New Localism by Bruce Katz. I recommend it. It talks about how, uh, you know, cities have become engines of opportunity economically and social. And I think it's a, it's a really cool book to learn about what's happening in the transformation of the urban core of the United States. Last question of the impact round. What is the best piece of advice related to happiness that you would give our listeners? Whoever said that we have to be happy every single second of the day is wrong. I think happening, happiness is knowing that you know, throughout the day, you're going to have discomfort or you're going to feel vulnerable and that you just need to keep moving forward. I mean, we're humans. We're, we're not conditioned to be happy the entire time. So it's, it's about understanding that it's human nature to go through ups and downs and to embrace those ups and downs because those ups and downs is what makes us human. It's, it's a delicious experience and we should embrace it, right? And to do good, do well, because that will always provide you a peace of mind that you're not only being a productive member of society, but that you have good intentions in life. And another thing, of course, is surround yourself with people that contribute to your positive outlook in life. Well, Beto, you absolutely crushed the impact round. So thank you for all of that. And lastly, as you know, here on the show, we have what I call the do well and do good challenge. So this is where I encourage our listeners who do want to give back to contribute to the nonprofits that are nominated by my guests. Could you share with me what organization you're nominating and why it's so meaningful to you? Yeah, so I, I'm nominating Raices, which provides immigration-related legal services for asylum seekers. So in my experience, Dorothy, I had the privilege that I, my family had the, the financial means to uh, help my dad through the immigration process. By the way, he got his visa last year after 12 years. Oh, good. Oh, my goodness. But that's not the case for a lot of people. That's not the case for many folks out there. I'm passionate about immigration because it's something that happened to me directly. And I think what Rice is, is doing is, is doing an outstanding job. And one of them is, is actually also helping children that are going through the immigration process that have been abandoned because they had to escape from realities that are hard to understand, that probably we could not comprehend immediately. And so I want to encourage everyone to donate to Raices. They've been an outstanding platform to help asylum seekers and also to uh, accelerate the process of getting those children in better homes. I love that you brought up the kids, especially because you know these are kids who who didn't ask for this. You know they just want to be safe. They want to um, you know feel secure. And so we will link to Racy's in the show notes, so everyone go there to get more information. And lastly, Beto, before we say goodbye, where can our listeners go to learn more about you, about City Flag, and to stay on top of everything that you're doing? Thank you for the opportunity to all the the audience members and listeners who are connected to this podcast. Thank you for listening to me. Uh, I hope that I was entertaining and I provided some insights. You can you know, learn more about my work through Twitter. My uh, handle is Beto, B-E-T-O, Altamirano, A-L-T-A-M-I-R-A-N-O. So you can find me there. You can find me on Instagram with the same handle, but also follow CityFly's work, which is cityfly.com. 
sorry, cityflag.co without the M. Also cityflag underscore on Twitter and on Instagram. And you can also look at us, look us up on, on Facebook, just the cityflag. You'll find it. So that's the best way to get connected with me. Beto, thank you so much for joining us today. I know that I absolutely adored our conversation and our listeners will as well. So I appreciate it. Thank you, Dorothy. I enjoyed it so much and keep up the great work. I'm a fan. All right, everyone, that's our show. Now, before I sign off, I want to introduce any new listeners to how the Do Well and Do Good Challenge works. There are two ways that you can participate. The first is if you are looking to do more to give back, I encourage you to contribute to any of the nonprofits nominated by my guests. Send a screenshot of your receipt to challenge at dowellanddogood.co and your donation will be included in our monthly tally of the tangible impact this podcast is having. The second way you can participate is absolutely free and that's by voting. See, in the first couple days of each month, we host a vote inside of our free Facebook community to determine which of the nonprofits nominated the month before that I will then donate a portion of my advertising agency's profits to. It's an awesome way to make your voice heard, and we've been able to raise money for some incredible organizations doing good in the world. So if you'd like to be a part of it, then head over to dowelanddogood.co backslash Facebook, where you'll find a link to join the group. Once you're inside, I'm also sharing tips, ideas, resources, and more to help you both increase your income and your impact. We're having so much fun inside there. So head over again to dowellanddogood.co backslash Facebook, and I'll see you on the inside. It means the world to me to earn your time. So thank you so much for listening.